1: you're listening to the Red
0: Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network.
1: Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. it gone. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a Grand Slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party!
0: Welcome back to episode 221 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher, of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru, Keaton, I had a little trouble there, uh, knowing what podcast I was on, because I appeared on basically all of the podcasts last week.
1: Were you able to keep things straight? Did you, did you ever forget which one you were on?
0: Um, you know, I was able to definitely keep it straight, especially, uh, when I was on the, the, uh, pre-cap, cause I was by myself, so I was reminded, uh, by that, but, you know, um... <laughs> It, it blurred together i I did a I did the three peat last week of, of OTM podcasts so the only one I was not on was the uh the over the monster podcast but I was on that one the week before so i'm uh, I'm, I'm hitting up all the over the monster podcasts so hopefully the listeners aren't getting sick of hearing me no, how could they? I don't know it sounds impossible but how are you doing
1: buddy? I'm doing good man. Um, thank you for taking the uh, the precap and talking about that terrible series against Tampa Bay so that Shelly and I can talk about the wonderful sweep of the Yankees. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'm always here to take that bullet for you, buddy. <laughs> um, so Keaton alluded to it. Uh, we're going to be talking about the sweep, sweep of the Yankees today, what that means for the Red Sox, what that means for the Yankees. Uh, we're going to be talking about the pitching staff as well. Uh, Garrett Richards, a guy who... We need to really start talking about. Um, we're going to be talking about some roster moves, but we're going to spend the bulk of the um, the show today uh, highlighting some individual names uh, that could become of interest uh, to the Red Sox at the trade deadline. And these names are all not Max Scherzer. You guys have heard us talk a lot about Max Scherzer. We're not gonna talk about them at all. Uh, these are all different names than you may have heard. Um, they are all fairly realistic targets, we believe. So we're gonna go into each and every one of these names, break down the pros and cons of these individuals, talk about whether or not it's, it's very likely for the Red Sox to go out and acquire them. Um, And we've separated it into a few different categories. So we'll be talking about starting pitcher targets, relief pitcher targets, outfield bats, middle infield bats, and corner infield bats. And uh, these will uh, answer a bunch of your listener questions, too. So we did get a bunch of listener questions, um, but, you know, the agenda of the show is actually going to cover many of them, so we'll call those out as we go. All right, let's get right into it, Keaton. Um, You mentioned the great news. The Red Sox are off to a hot... Uh, start this weekend after sweeping the Yankees. Uh, That leaves them in sole possession of first place in the AL East, second best record in the American League. Uh, Houston has a better record than them. San Francisco has a better record in the National League. They are tied with the LA Dodgers in terms of winning percentage. Um, Red Sox had a really good weekend. I mean, that was awesome.
1: Yeah. Couldn't really get much better than that. Got great pitching, hitting. Hitting some dingers. Hunter Renfro is having the best year of his career. So that's nice.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. His defense has been on point. Um, Garrett Whitlock was awesome in that series, pitching twice against the Yankees. Um, Matt Barnes was pretty good. Um, You know, I, I think I was a little bit nervous uh, in during his second appearance, but things ended up working out. Um, by and large, the bullpen came up pretty big in yeah. addition to the starting pitching.
1: Yeah, it did, especially bailing out uh, Martin Perez, who only went like three and two-thirds. Uh, and they finished that off not allowing any runs. So yeah. that was an incredibly strong start. It was a lot to ask of those guys, and they got a ton. Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Uh, Red Sox are now undefeated versus the Yankees this season. Um, they've won seven straight, dating back to last year. My question for you, Keaton, is at this point in the season, with where these teams are at, uh, the Yankees are fourth place in the division, six and a half games behind the Red Sox. Can we officially stick a fork in the Yankees?
1: Ooh. Uh, Not yet. What are we waiting for? They still have a bunch of games against the Red Sox. And, I mean, they can make up... Six and a half is, is a decent-sized lead, but it's not something that can't be overcome. I mean, we're only halfway through the, the season. We're basically at the midpoint now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, upper 70s in games played. Or, yeah, yeah, just about right at 80. Um, And it's the Yankees, so I just I have a hard time writing them off until they're, like, pretty darn close to mathematically eliminated. Although... Struggles of guys like Garrett Cole are bad. Like it's four and a half ERA over last month. Basically, since they, the MLB is like, we're going to crack down on this stuff. Seems like that was a big part of his game. Not unlike Garrett Richards. Um, so, that puts a big biff in it. But they're also going to get Kluber back. Um, there are other guys that have been on the shelf are presumably going to come back. They'll probably put up a fight. And they have a ton of games left against the Red Sox. I think they've played a lot against Tampa. So, it might be more difficult for them to... To make up ground on Tampa, but there are still plenty of games against the Red Sox, and uh, you know whatever the Red Sox, the Yankees are doing in the standings, those games are always tough. So I, I'm not there yet.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, I don't know. What, is this me being an optimism guy? But I'm gonna stick a fork in the Yankees uh, right now. I just think there's way too many problems on this team, and I totally get. What you're saying, Um, I still feel anxious during close Red Sox-Yankees games, uh, even when I know the Yankees are an inferior team. But to me, there's just way too many problems on this club. I mean, looking looking at their lineup, everyone in that lineup is right-handed, except for Brett Gardner, who sucks at baseball now. Um, You can't have that many right-handed bats in a Yankees lineup. Um, It's an old team. It's an underperforming team. Um, The bullpen is good. The starting pitching is just as suspect, if not more suspect, than any of the other AL East teams. Um, Garrett Cole legitimately looks like a number two or three starter now that he's not using spider tack. If I'm them, I'm crapping my pants about the fact that I have to pay this guy through what, how many years do they have him? He's locked up through, through 2028 Oh my word! Through twenty twenty eight, they have to pay this guy to pitch without Spider Attack, and he's going to get paid thirty six million per year. And they're going to be paying uh, Giancarlo Stanton, who has many problems of his own, through twenty twenty eight as well. It's or twenty twenty seven. It's it's crazy the amount of money they have locked up into these guys that are now looking like massive question marks.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, there are also questions about the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Red Sox, too. So I guess that's where I'm more hesitant to write them off. I mean, you're 100% right about all those issues. Um, But there are still question marks about Red Sox starting pitching. There are times where the offense has been inconsistent, although significantly better than what the Yankees are dealing with. Um, The bullpen, Matt Barnes, is really the only one that we can – really feel well again Garrewayt lock those two guys are like the only two like locks there in the bullpen um you know these are areas that we're gonna also discuss as ways to upgrade via trade but i think there's there's not a sure thing with those those top four teams the red sox have clearly been the most consistent and that puts them you know squarely in or for at least for the moment um in sole possession of first place but I just i'm not there's still too much baseball left for Uh, Things to be able to change. Like, I mean, we've seen teams go on, like, massive swings. Like, 2019, the Nationals were, like, 22 and 29. And then made it, ended up winning the World Series. Ended up turning it around, having a wild second half. Like, they are – they have – the Yankees absolutely have flaws. But they could also be one of those teams that just all of a sudden play 650 ball over the second half after the all-star break. And put themselves back into it. Especially with a bunch of games against the Red Sox. So yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm more hesitant. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I believe that it's going to happen. I right. just we've, we've there's too much baseball left, and we've seen weirder things happen that I'm just not ready to write them off completely.
0: Yeah, it, that's fair. Um, I just I have such a hard time overlooking the fact that this is a Yankees team that can't score, and and that's the thing that freaks me out about this Yankees team, and it's it's awesome to see, but, you know, the only two teams that they've scored more runs than in the American League are the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Low bar. Yeah, I mean, and Red Sox are second in the American League in runs behind the dynamic Houston Astros, so it's really uh, a tale of two, two teams uh, in regards to that, so it's going to be interesting. Uh, I love to see it. It's really nice uh, after just so many years of freaking out about the Yankees. You know, I spent my whole childhood, you know, looking looking up in the standings against the Yankees. So it's uh, it's very nice to to be in this position at this point. And also, like you know, talk in the preseason, it was all about how the Yankees were going to win this division by like ten games. You know, no one was even giving the Rays a chance with. The fact that they got rid of Snell and they lost Charlie Morton and blah, 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 blah. It is just really funny how
1: things have worked out. Yeah. Like how the Giants have the best record in baseball. It's been a weird year.
0: It's been a very weird year. All right. So um, over this past week, since we've last spoken, we last spoke on the 21st, um, Red Sox have really turned things around in the starting pitching department. And I think that's where... Um, we've seen sort of the biggest gains and led to their success over the past week. Nick Pavetta uh, carried a no-hitter through uh, almost to the seventh inning or almost through the seventh inning. Uh, Nadia Valdi pitched into the eighth inning against um, the Yankees and looked incredible. Erod, incredibly strong performance against Garrett Cole. My question to you, Keaton, is out of these last uh, three performances this week from Pavetta, Ivaldi, and Erod, which one of these impressed you most?
1: Oh, it's got to be Pavetta. Six and two-thirds of no-hit ball. That, that's got to be it. Um, it was really great to see Eval- or, uh, Erod turn it around after having such a string of poor starts uh, and just pitch super well. And uh, Evaldi had kind of been scuffling a bit, but it seems like he's had he's put a couple start good starts in a row. Um, it has it's certainly been a weird year for pitching, but I never thought Nick Pavetta would be on the uh, the no hitter alerts on yeah. the MLB app. So that one that one was shocking, and not only that, it was against Tampa Bay in a game that they needed to win to get first place back Great. from Tampa. So, big spot, good yeah. offense too, good offense, big spot, and crushed it.
0: Yeah, he was awesome, and the thing that's been really good about Pavetta is just how well his fastball has been playing this year. It's a true weapon for him, and uh, I was really encouraged to see that Pavetta has not been one of these guys that's been really adversely affected you know, by this whole crackdown on sticky stuff. Um, I've been watching closely all of the Red Sox starters since it happened, and I've been looking for them to bounce back with good performances. And, you know, this Pavetta thing lets me know he can do this against the top offense. Um, So, I mean, he he had been the guy that I've been most skeptical about in this rotation. Um, When we did our rankings like a month ago of how much we trusted these guys, I had him fifth. I mean, I would have him easily top three now.
1: Yeah, I think I'm with you. Well, you pointed out, um, now I can't remember who was it against. Was it Zach Wheeler? And you were like pavetta just snatched his stole and has been pitching on a tear ever since.
0: Uh that was against um uh
1: Jacob de Gram. Yeah, that was it, DeGrom. That's the yeah. one.
0: No no no, I'm sorry. It was Garrett Richards who was against de Gram. Uh whose soul did Pavetta snatch? Maybe it was Zach Wheeler's soul. Maybe you were right the first time. I can't remember
1: either way he's been pitching above himself ever since. And you've pointed to having confidence of going toe to toe with the other aces around the league or not, well, not uh, not other aces, but aces in general around the league. Um, and consistently coming out better than that's got to give you a ton of confidence. And when you're pitching like that, you know, that's, that's certainly a plus.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, the, the stuff looks, looks every bit as good. Um, as, as he thinks it is, um, which is, which is always nice. And his breaking ball has been really solid as well. Um, I wasn't that surprised by Nadia Evaldi's start. Uh, he's been a Yankee killer over the last couple of years. So um, I was very impressed, don't get me wrong, but I kind of expected that from Nadia Evaldi. I'm not going to say I expected him to work into the eighth inning, but I expected him to uh, deliver a really good start there. But I think it was Erod who impressed me the most just because – what we'd seen from him this year has been so ridiculously up and down, uh, and to go in and do that in that spot um, to get the sweep was just that was
1: huge. Yeah, and going up against Garrett Cole, which um, it's still an intimidating opponent, even with the the recent struggles that he's he's had. Uh, Garrett Cole's still a name, still a guy that has really good stuff, whether you know spin rates are down or not. Maybe he's slightly less imposing, but that's still especially going up against the Yankees with the the win streak on the line against them and to the pitch the way that he did. That was a big spot.
0: Yeah, it was huge. Um, how would you rank these guys going forward now?
1: Evaldi, Erod, Pavetta. Yeah. yeah,
0: I'm with you. I think that's the right order. Um, Alright, it's time we should talk about Martin Perez Uh, He looked a little bit better against the Yankees and in his last couple starts um, than he did in his first couple of the, you know, no sticky stuff uh, time period. Um, What has, what was your impression of how he looked versus the Yankees? I mean, he wasn't overpowering or anything, but he was able to work around
1: some jams. He was, he was, I don't think he looked that great. I only three and two thirds, and he walked two, gave up six hits, but uh, no earned runs. No, <laughs> well, y- yeah, I mean, the only reason they <laughs> they weren't earned was because of the the error, obviously. But um, which is kind of another thing. Red Sox in their last um, ten games coming into tonight there's eleven errors. Yeah, uh it's, it's that's not, not the first time we've had to talk about the defense. So that that may be uh, for another segment, but. Um and just because they were unarmed doesn't make me feel like he had that much better of a performance
0: i was i actually i guess I was more encouraged by it um that on the back of the five innings against Kansas City at Kansas City where he only allowed one earned run um because the the two starts against Houston and Toronto were so bad i mean two innings and one and a third innings, uh those last two starts, and then to see him bounce back there, it at least gave me confidence that, like, as a number five starter, it will play.
1: Yeah, I guess with that expectation, that's that's true. Maybe <laughs> he's, game he's probably not going to... From... Oh, so, go ahead. I was going to say, he's, he's probably not going to get back to the, I guess, the pre sticky stuff era, era, we'll say, or MLB checks, maybe. Um Although his... um We talked about how, I mean, Garrett Richards clearly is having spin rate issues. uh, But everybody else, including Martin Perez, not really. He had experienced some drops in his spin rates, but nothing that was too crazy. And then in the last start against the Yankees, they were right back up to where they normally were. So I thought that maybe he might have been injured um, because that's typically seeing that drop in spin rates. But it was like a steady decline over four starts. It wasn't just an immediate drop. So I thought maybe there was something else in there. And to see him right back up to where his season averages have been in that last start is certainly encouraging. Um, he was also pitching extremely well through the first two and a half months of the season, three three months of the season, two and a half mm-hmm. months of the season. So maybe we'll get back to that. But, if, I mean, he doesn't need to if he's going to be the fifth starter. He just needs to be able to get to the fifth inning every time. So however he has to do that, that's fine.
0: Yeah, and – um I think it is also worth noting that um, he's only had three games this year with a higher game score than his start against Kansas City, um, which is his his second most recent start. So he can pitch to the pre-sticky checks uh, level uh, or maybe not quite as high as like, you know, the 76 game score that he threw at Houston with seven and two thirds innings. But, you know. A 60 is solid. That's a that's a really solid game score. Um especially coming off a game score of 1 versus Toronto and <laughs> uh 12 versus Houston. So, uh n- not not super great there. Um but yeah, I'm happy to see him reach reach that height again. I definitely feel pretty confident about him and I agree with you Keaton. I was watching the um the uh spin rates for him and I was really happy that uh he was able to get those back up uh, to where we wanted them to be so that's huge oh hunter renfro home run as we are on the
1: podcast nice you sure did game is tied uh is it no they're down by one still no i think you're way behind man oh (laughs) oh no yeah my internet's slow right now that stinks
0: Um, they scored that fifth run like five minutes ago (laughs) (laughs) all right um So it's time to talk about Garrett Richards, though. He is the one pitching in this game right now. Uh, He does not look good, uh, to say the least. Um, I do not have an up-to-date box score for him, apparently, because my internet's being weird. Um, But
1: do you have a line for him
0: for this game?
1: Yeah, he's he's still um, the pitcher for the Red Sox. So he's through four. Five runs, three homers, uh, whatever you're seeing it that should be accurate for one strikeout, yeah, right, yeah, okay,
0: so yeah, I do have the accurate game score or uh, updated for him. um this is really troubling, so we got a listener question that I'm gonna address right now.
1: No walks though, so you know,
0: yeah, I guess so. Uh, <laughs> a, a great big Lark has a couple questions for us tonight. Um, but one of them is if Richards looks awful again tonight, do you think this is his last start? If Hulk is ready to be called up in a week, do you think the Red Sox have enough bullpen depth to do a bullpen game, uh, every five days for two to three weeks? Um, I think that I have seen enough from Garrett Richards at this point with this game as well. uh, He gave up five in this one so far. Uh, This one could get worse. The three home runs were absolute shots. I mean, it's just, he doesn't look good to me. He hasn't looked good in a while. He's giving non-competitive starts at this point. Um, I am ready to give him the Phantom IL stint and call up Tanner Houck, even if that means that you're only getting like three to five innings from Hulk when he comes up. I think the bullpen is built to handle that right now. And uh, at this point, like Garrett Richards is putting you in a hole every time he goes out there.
1: Yeah. This is where the Red Sox need to step in and just save him from itself at this point, because he can't be learning new pitches and testing them out at the major league level in competitive games. That's not going to help you as an organization. He you like, phantom il stint immediately so he can actually like on the side with pitching coaches work through this figure it out give him a couple rehab starts in triple a to see if he's actually comfortable with it if it's going to take and then try and slot him back in there again at the major league level or if it doesn't work then dfa matt andreese and he's the new matt andreese the guy that just comes in in games you're already losing and uh pitches until it's over no matter how bad he gets hit because uh, rolling him out while you're trying to win a division now is just not going to work while he's trying to learn new grips and new pitches at the major league level. That's like, there's a reason why players do that in spring training. And then if it doesn't work, abandon it. Like that's, it's not something you can do at the major league level every fifth day.
0: Yeah. And one of my problems with, with Garrett Richards, and uh, I've talked about this with Shelley a little bit. Um, it, it doesn't seem to me like he's super committed to, learning how to pitch without this stuff. It seems like he's still in this mode of throwing kind of a tantrum about the MLB doing this and, like, taking it personally and blah, 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 blah. Um, He's not the only guy this sucks for. Um, And bottom line is you need to adapt and figure out how to help your team. Um, And and to me, I I just don't think he's doing that. What are are your thoughts on that piece?
1: I think that he is, but, I mean, I'm basing that off of, like, what we've heard from Cora and like he talked before the game today about Garrett Richards and they said that they were happy with the progress that he had made in putting an effort to try and learn new grips and work around this. And he was looking forward to Richards taking some steps forward tonight. Um, obviously the ball's flying out of the yard, but he has at least not given up a run in his last seven outs. So that's a plus or eight outs. Um, so that's a plus. But uh, yeah, terrible first two innings. The last two innings have been all, all right. Um, still, only the one strikeout. That's pretty tough. But yeah. no walks is nice to see.
0: Yeah, I guess if you're really looking for a silver lining, there. I mean, his his. Uh... His effectiveness has just gone down, and it seems like it's more than just the spin rates. It seems like it's mental to me. Um, Since the crackdown on spin rates, his game scores have been 37, 27, 9. And then this gem tonight so far, uh, which will be slightly better than the 9, but not very good. Um, (laughs) But those are all, I mean, aside from the very first start of the season where he also had his spin rates completely off, uh, those will be his, his worst four starts. Uh, of the season. So it's just, dude needs to go figure it out. And, and Tanner Houck looks pretty ready. I mean, he's he's thrown a couple innings or uh, outings, I should say, at AAA. Looked really good. Struck out six in each of those. Uh, I feel confident with him coming up and how his stuff will
1: play at the major league level. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen him be really good at the major league level and against really good offenses. So I don't know why we wouldn't have confidence in that. Yeah. So if, if you're Cora, you make that move right away. Um well he just got a second strike out of the night so maybe I'm starting to buy back in. Uh that's I'm not kidding. I'm not serious about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, um that's I all mean, it took the bars. low. Well, yeah, that's true. Um yeah, I mean I I think even so let's say he finishes off this inning and maybe even pitches another uh and gets through it. It still wasn't a great outing and it's still like are you going to expect him to to be that efficient in his next start? I wouldn't expect it. Yeah, that's my my I keep coming back to he can't keep experimenting on these things at the major league level when they're trying to win the division. Right. Like they're not doing themselves any favors with that. So I just don't understand how he couldn't make that move and at least like give Hauk a chance. I mean, Garrett Richards is making too much money. He's not going to go away completely. He's going to be on the major league roster in some form or fashion. But if he can't figure this out enough to be a starter for you, then you got to move him to the bullpen and you know save him from himself and uh, just see if he can figure it out in the offseason uh, for someone else. Yep. I agree. I agree.
0: Um, before we get to our main segment of the night, talking about this trade stuff, a little bit of uh, minor roster move since the last time we, uh, had this podcast, uh, Connor Wong did get the call up for Kevin Ploiecki, which was a little bit of a surprise, but I actually think he looked pretty good calling the game the other day. Um, and, uh, Michael Chavis is up for Christian Arroyo. So, uh, Keaton, uh, which one of these are you celebrating more?
1: Your, your boy or being right about Connor Wong? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that I was right about Conor Ron because you pointed out that he was not having a great uh, AAA debut. No. So that was kind of surprising. But then again, I mean, they're not relying on him on an everyday role here. So maybe that's not, not that bad. But of course, it's my boy Chavez. <laughs> I'd expect
0: nothing else uh, from, <laughs> from you than to be excited about James. So that's good. Um, all right, so let's get right to our main segment of the night. Um, we are going to be talking about trade targets. Um, we had a question from a great big lark. It says as much as I love hearing about pipe dream trades with the Nationals. Do you think Bloom? What do you think Bloom will actually do with the deadline? Feels like he's doing. He's he will be content doing small trades to tighten up the bullpen. Maybe a three to four starter. What do you think? Uh, again, not wanting to hear our optimal scenario about uh, Max Scherzer, um, but maybe a more realistic trade scenario. We also got a question from. J pick uh, I'm not hundred percent sure what your actual Twitter name is but he says uh, what would the prospect cost be for impending free agent uh, Starling Marte uh, taking Santana's roster spot as a leadoff uh, center fielder can't imagine the Marlins holding on to him and paying him five million from August to September just for the qualifying offer compensation so he is one of the guys we are going to address tonight uh, starling Marte as well um, we're going to talk about starting pitching first because i think keaton are we both in agreement that starting pitching is probably the biggest area of need for this team
1: yes okay cool i'm alex rodriguez and i'm
0: jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and
1: entertainment That is a harsh lesson in business.
0: Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I
1: didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so
0: many more doors. The show
1: is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal.
0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So I have uh, collected eight players who may be available. Uh, I'm going to run through those names real quick and then we can discuss these names. Um, The names are... Caleb Smith, a lefty uh, for Arizona. He has two more arbitration years left, um, including this one. So uh, you'd be getting him for about a season and a half if you were to trade for him. Uh, Arizona is terrible. Charlie Morton, a free agent after this year, 2021. He's owed 15 million bucks. Um, He's for the Braves, and uh, the Braves are not having a very good year. Herman Marquez, a name we've talked about before, 26 years old. He is arbitration eligible, or not arbitration eligible. He is signed from 2021 through 2023 with a 2024 team option. John Gray, uh, also a Colorado Rocky like Marquez. He's a free agent after this year. Kyle Gibson, who is somehow leading the league in ERA. Uh, He is uh, signed through 2022, so you'd be getting him for a year and a half. Jose Berrios, uh, another guy a year and a half of control left his last RB year is 2022. Uh, Kenta Maeda is signed through 2023. Both of those guys are twins. Uh, that club is struggling mightily uh, and he has a very cheap salary of about three million bucks. And then Danny Duffy uh, is another option uh, He is the one who's pitching against the Red Sox right now. He's a lefty. He's got 15 and a half million bucks due to him uh, this year. Um, he's a free agent after this season Royals probably don't have him in their plans going forward so uh, and they probably don't they're probably not super thrilled about paying him that money um out of these eight guys do you have any that interest you more than others?
1: yes Caleb Smith okay uh he is having a really good year so far this year um and like you pointed out he has two more years of control after this he's also only making 1.4 million. Uh, this year, so that will be prorated down to well, whatever it is at the time that they would have acquired him. But this is the, this is the key to me. Um, the Red Sox, as it stands right now, have $1.2 million to spare before they hit the luxury tax. Um, Seems like they don't want to go over for this year's team. Uh, otherwise, I feel like they may have put in a little bit more effort in the offseason, too. Uh, on a, a couple of the guys that we talked about. Um, like all offseason that we were hoping they were to kind of make some some changes and they didn't make a splash in the offseason. Um, they're obviously in first place right now, so they probably don't feel like they need to make a major splash. Uh, I'm hoping that is not the case <laughs> and they want to add someone, but adding a guy like Caleb Smith who has a lot of control and is not making a lot wouldn't put them over the, the threshold would give the starting pitching an immediate boost uh, that they need. Uh, while also qualifying, what I assume are the financial restrictions that they are kind of dealing with. Um, not that I don't expect the Red Sox to ever go over the luxury tax again. Like um, I've said a million times on this podcast, uh, this is the off season where there's just a buttload of free agents that are game changing free agents, and the Red Sox have a bunch of money and potential money coming off the books. And so this is the this upcoming off season is the one that I've that you and I basically have pegged since like the end of 2019 right as the one where we saw them uh, potentially spending a bunch of money and going over. Yep. I don't think that they would be basically this close to that off season. I don't think they're looking to make a move to put them over right now. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but um, it still seems like the financials are a concern for them. And Caleb Smith, they would be able to acquire with uh, staying under the the luxury tax for now, uh, which I think would be a major boost to him. So not only is he a good player, I think he fits the financials and all the yada yadas. um, And so I think he would be a great fit for this team. And Arizona um, is just an absolute mess. So I don't think it would take a ton to convince them to move him.
0: Yeah, he's a really interesting guy because you know he's had some good seasons too in the past, um, particularly um, in his time with uh, Miami. He had some enticing seasons where he looked pretty good. Um, he's got a three oh three ERA so far this year. He's still only twenty nine, um, but he's pitching to a one thirty five ERA plus. Uh, by baseball reference, and, you know, 100 is league average with that. So he's been 35% better than league average. Um, And I I think you nailed it with the money part, Keaton. That would be very, very easy uh, for them to figure out. So I'm very interested in that one. Uh, Let's go down the line here a little bit. Um, Charlie Morton, um, he's having a really resurgent year for the Braves. The Braves don't have the deepest system in the world, Um, And if they truly feel like they are out of it, uh, especially with the news that, you know, they're not going to be getting Soroka back this year, um, I could see them doing something there where they could make this deal affordable and probably get them to, you know, take some or maybe all of the money or send somebody back or I don't know. But I, I feel like they've already paid uh, a bunch of that contract, half of that contract. I feel like there are ways that they might be able to, to get that done. What are your, what are your thoughts on Charlie Morton for a year or half year?
1: Yeah, that one is interesting because uh, I mean, talk about like not having to give up much. Charlie Morton, we all thought was going to retire after last year. And then obviously it was all the COVID stuff got pushed. And then it was a weird shortened year. And he decided to come back again for what would be a full season. Um, so again, like, I don't think it would cost much at all if Atlanta's like, you know what, doesn't make this happen for us because the expectation would be that you would just get him for two months and that's it. And then it's done. Right. So it would cost next to nothing to acquire him. And he's having a pretty good year. So if they could work out the financial pieces for it. I think he, this would, this is a great target for the Red Sox.
0: Yeah. I would almost rather give like an extra prospect or two, uh, to have them stay under the CBT and maybe have. Atlanta Carry, you know, all but you know a million and a half bucks of his salary or whatever uh, to to keep them under that level. However, um, if they couldn't do that, um, if they had to go over the first uh, threshold of the CBT, um, I wouldn't hate that for a guy like Morton, who I think could really be a game changer uh, when it comes to, The playoffs, especially if you can get a guy like Chris Sale back uh, in the rotation by playoff time. Um, I I wouldn't worry about that too much because I think that there are things that they could do on this team, like not bringing back. Garrett Richards and uh, Martin Perez next year uh, on those club options that could put them under the threshold again next year. So I'm actually not really panicking too much about going over by a small amount this year because I think you can pretty easily figure out a way to reset next year.
1: Yeah, that's probably a good point. Um, Yeah, I mean, they have a bunch of stuff coming off the books, so they should be able to at least make one or two really interesting signings if they do go over by a little bit.
0: Yeah, Adam Audovino, he's owed almost nine. He's coming off the books too. Erod's coming off at 8.3. Um, they've got a lot of big guys coming off.
1: Potentially JD Martinez as well. Yeah, especially with the year he's having.
0: Yeah. So, so yeah,
1: yeah, I guess I would give them a lot more. As long as, like you said, it's not it's not like a major investment, and they're going way over.
0: Well, I guess the biggest question here then is Do they sell Morton at this point, considering where they are in the standings? Do you think that that's, you know, a possibility?
1: Um, Because he's 37. Yeah, I mean, I probably would. I mean, they're under 500 right now, but the NL is such a weird division. I know.
0: I almost didn't put any of the NL teams as sellers because I feel like any of them could still win that division. So I'm just not convinced that they are going to be sellers, even with them being what are they fourth place in the division at this point? Yeah,
1: yeah. I could I or, could easily no, third. I third guess they're place. they're one percentage point or one one thousandth of a percentage point out of out of the Phillies. Yeah. Well I mean they got a month to figure it out, right? I mean if like right. if in a month from now, if they're like two and a half back, if they've made up half of their ground, they're probably not. They'll probably make a push. But yeah. if they fall back the other way and they're closer to ten games out, then yeah.
0: Yeah. It's gonna be interesting to watch. Um all right, moving down the list here, um to the two Rockies guys, Herman Marquez and John
1: Gray. Any interest in these two? I have no interest whatsoever in John Gray. He's he pretty is. Bad. Uh, it is. I don't understand how this is possible, but he has. He's worse outside of course. I don't think I've ever seen a pitcher <laughs> that's worse outside of course than they are in course. Except maybe that one season that Yobaldo Jimenez was like a god, or that half a season he was a god. Like particularly this year, like his career numbers, his ERA is worse out of course. It's even more drastic this year. He has a 3.25 ERA in cores, 5.32 outside. Hmm. I don't know how that's possible, but no. that's like, this is a guy that, um, you know, has been mentioned is like, oh my God, is he finally putting it together? Former top draft pick from a few years ago. Uh, and every time I dig into his numbers, I'm just baffled and confused and want nothing to do with him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I uh, totally agree with you on John Gray and the other piece of this is that with the other Rockies guy, Herman Marquez, who we've talked about, even though he's 26 years old and he's relatively affordable through 2024, I don't really want to give up the prospect package that it would take to go get him from the Rockies. I mean, I would explore it and kick the tires on it and see if the Rockies want to do something dumb. Um, But Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not convinced John Gray is any better than just Tanner Houck. Um, In fact, I'm pretty convinced he's not. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Herman Marquez, though, I I think is better. Um, But the cost could be pretty prohibitive there.
1: Yeah, and like a normal person, he's much better outside of course. Um, (laughs) And and that would be... The difficult piece of trying to pry him from the Rockies is that they're going to want a lot in return for a guy who will be much better wherever he goes and still has, like, what was it, this year plus two more years of control? Yeah. And then a
0: 2024 team option as well, which is relatively inexpensive. So you'd think yeah. that whoever trades for him would exercise
1: that. Yep. That's going to be tough.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, how about Kyle Gibson? He's been a bit of an enigma throughout his career. Wasn't very good with the uh, the Twins, but has been pitching absolutely out of his mind. Uh, he he had the horrible first start this season, but since then has been pretty much the best pitcher in the American League. Uh, what do you make of him? He's he's controlled for $7.5 million through 2022, so that would be
1: a solution for next year as well. Yeah, that's a Texas sucks. Texas does suck. <laughs> that is true. Um, Yeah, it's, it's weird, right? I mean, the big thing is he's not giving up home runs this year, which has been a major problem for him in the past. Um, I don't know what to make of him. It's weird, but Texas, like, it's clearly no point in them holding on to him because they're not going anywhere. They're better served if they trade him for some form of uh, prospect packages, so. Yeah, if that, if that's, again, is something where, like, the financials can work and then you have him for another year to see if he's able to put back-to-back seasons like this together, which he has never done in his career before. Uh, for the majority of his career, he's been pretty bad. But capitalize on this way he can, sure.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm not really convinced he's going to be able to do this outside of Texas. Um, Texas is a really pitcher-friendly ballpark right now, too. Um and it just feels like there's nothing that he's done in his career that tells me that this is something that he can sustain. Um, so I would be cool with it, um, see if he can catch lightning in a bottle. And I think, you know, he could definitely be a four or a five starter even if he comes back to earth. But I don't – I'm not paying through the nose uh, to get a guy like this. The price would have to be right for, for Gibby.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: Um, the twins probably the most unexpectedly bad team this year uh, they are tied with the Royals in record right now um, and just seem to be going nowhere they are 10 games below 500 um, they have two starters who are really interesting jose Berrios uh, who was their highly touted prospect um, and he is uh, he's got, a year and a half left of team control and then kenta maeda who's got two and a half years left of team control he's 33 years old uh having a down year but he only makes three million dollars a year which is really interesting uh for him and he was second place in the al Cy young voting last year um do you like either of those
1: guys i so initially yeah i liked both um but Barrios has actually just been a guy that's, like, never fully put it together. Um, and has, like, continued to show promise and then kind of not put it together. And it's kind of, like, one of those things where after, like, five seasons of this, is this just who he is. Um, or can he actually, like, be unlocked if he goes somewhere? But because of that, um, he's also kind of expensive. And I don't think – it's making 5.6 mil this year – has a year of arbitration uh, next year. So I think it would be difficult to, to get him. Maeda, though, is remarkably cheap and is someone that I think is a good pitcher, even though he's having the weird year this year. So I wouldn't mind trying to make the financials work there. Um, and it wouldn't take much for it to work because whatever the pro rate it is it probably would work within um, you know that threshold that they're dealing with right now. Uh, and then to have him that cheap for the next two years, like I would much rather have him make it $3 million than uh, Martin Perez and Gary Richards making like a combined, was it 16, 17? Yeah,
0: uh, almost 17, yeah. Um, this is my favorite of all of these uh, possibilities is Kenta Maeda by far. Um, you know, I there's just so much more evidence of him being a – very high-level pitcher um, throughout his career um, than what he's doing this year, which is just weird. I mean, he has that 4.85 ERA. Um, it feels very unlucky. He's also not been super healthy this year. He's been dealing with all sorts of different ailments over his body. Uh, I'm not even going to say they're, like, uh, all connected. They're all just, like, random injuries that he's been getting. Um I think, like you know, you get this guy. If you can get Kenta Maeda to a level where he's feeling healthy by the time the playoffs roll around, that could be a game changer. And like you said, Keaton, having that cheap of a salary for him really opens up so many possibilities for the future. Yeah, yeah, I would
1: I'd be holding on that one.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you'd be getting him for years: thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six that doesn't really freak me out too much, especially because he's had relatively low innings totals uh, while he's been in the major leagues
1: um, dating back to his first year in 2016. Yeah. Well, the Dodgers kept um, using him as like primarily reliever to keep his costs down. Uh, right. And that ended up just benefiting the twins. So <laughs> why not have it benefit us? Yep. Yeah. And then uh, last
0: guy here, Danny Duffy. Um, any interest in Duffy?
1: So he's super weird. Because I don't think he's very good, but he's having an incredible year. Uh, well, I guess with the exception of tonight, where uh, he's giving him three homers and four runs to the Red Sox. But besides that, I mean, he's a 1.83 ERA. Um, the FIP and XFIP are about double that, but that's still that's not all that bad. But for the majority of his career, he's been more of like a four, four, two, four, three kind of guy. Um, so I don't really know what to make of him. I guess I would, I would rather pass because I just don't know what to, to think of him. And if we're gonna make a move, I'd rather be more sure of it. Um, striking out way more people than like he's two and a half K per nine ahead of his career average this season. I don't get that.
0: Yeah, I- <laughs> it's so weird. I don't really trust it, and the fact that he makes $15.5 bucks this year means that the financials are going to be kind of tricky yeah, anyway uh, with this one. So yeah, that would be kind of last place for me, maybe tied with uh, John Gray for for these ones that I'm not super interested. If I had to rank my top three, though, out of these starting pitching possibilities, taking everything into account, I would rank it Kenta Maeda 1. I would have uh, Charlie Morton 2 and Caleb Smith 3. How would you have it?
1: I would flip uh, Smith, and um, who was the second one that you said? Morton. That one. Yep, I would flip. Okay. Yeah.
0: Nice. All right. Let's move on to relief pitcher here. Uh, I had four relief pitcher targets. Um, first one was Yimi Garcia, who is a free agent after 2021. The closer for the Marlins, they are last place in their division. They look to actually be kind of far out of it. So that's an interesting one. They should probably be sellers. Uh, Ian Kennedy, a free agent after 2021, also the closer for uh, Texas. Again, free agent after 2021. So he is relatively cheap, probably having a good year. Kendall Graveman, a uh, closer or closer part, part closer, I guess, for um, the Mariners, uh, they are kind of interesting because they're third place right now. So I'm not 100% sure they sell, but I don't think they believe they can win that division. Um, So they're probably going to sell since he's a free agent after 2021. Uh, And then Daniel Bard, uh, if that name sounds familiar, it's because that's the same Daniel Bard that we used to have. He's a free agent after 2022, which is his last arbitration year. He's not having a very good season, um, but I thought that one was kind of fun, so I put it in there.
1: Yeah. Um, it's also could be the Coors effect with him and having kind of a down year, but all four of these guys are actually really interesting and they're not making much money. Um, so they would all work probably like you you could work to acquire one of these guys and one of the starting pitchers that we talked about um, for this year and have it work. And I think that would be Just the upgrades that the entire pitching staff needs.
0: Do you have any um, preference or how would you rank
1: these four starting uh, relief pitchers in terms of uh, Um, how much you
0: would like to acquire
1: them? Kennedy and Graveman, I would say like 1A, 1B, and then Garcia and Bard. Uh, Graveman and Bard? Uh, No, Kennedy and Graveman, 1A, 1B. Uh, Oh, uh, oh I got you. Bard. I got you. Okay.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would probably have it Garcia, Graveman, then Kennedy, then Bard. That would probably be my ranking of these guys.
1: Interesting. But so Garcia is your number 1? Garcia is my number 1.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I really like what he's done in Miami over the last couple of years. I definitely believe in him. Um, But I also think that he could be the most expensive out of these rentals because of that performance. Um, I kind of have a feeling like Kennedy might be the best deal
1: out of all these guys. Just in terms of the price. Probably. Yeah, I mean, I think Kennedy and Graven are both better than Garcia. Um, So I would prefer to go after one of them. But, I mean, all, all three of those guys have been really good for, like, more than a year. And they're incredibly cheap. Do you think
0: they need to go after a reliever?
1: You know, if you asked me before the season started, I would have said yes. Like, significant, all caps... Couple exclamation points, but it has not nearly uh, been the disaster we expected. Mainly because of Sawamura and Whitlock; those additions have been tremendous.
0: Josh Taylor,
1: being a god. Josh Taylor as well. Yeah, <laughs> not um, you know coming into the year, didn't know what to expect uh, with Sawamura. Uh Taylor has was just coming off of really bad twenty twenty and started off the season awful. Uh, Ed Whitlock, Rule 5 guy, wasn't expecting anything at all. So it's I'm much more confident in this bullpen than it was in the beginning of the year for sure. Um, but you can't have like too many good relief pitchers on your team, especially if they're going to make a push for the playoffs. Um, Hunter Renfro just hit his second home run of the night, by the way. Nice. God,
0: yeah, bad. I feel like um, if they... Go out and address starting pitcher. Let's just say they pick up Maeda or Morton or Smith, one of the guys that we like. Yeah. I don't feel like they have to go get a relief pitcher. I would like them to. Uh, however, I don't feel like it's a need. But if they don't address starting pitcher, I feel like they need to add a reliever. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, let's get to some bats here before we uh, answer our final few listener questions and get out of here. Uh, Outfield bats. This is the one that I think is probably the most unrealistic of them to address. Um, Not that it's not a need. I just think it's probably the lowest end need of the needs on the team Uh, right now, especially with Jaron Duran looming. Um, But four names that I put down here that are kind of interesting. Starling Marte, he's a free agent after 2021. He would be a perfect leadoff hitter, uh, as the listener question pointed out. Uh, David Peralta as a free agent after 2022 for bad Arizona club. He's having a pretty good year. Uh, Mitch Hanager, uh is a free agent after 2022 having a great resurgent year, uh, which is nice to see for, for Seattle. Um, and Joey Gallo uh, is having a bit of a tough year actually for Texas offensively, um, but still has just gobs of power, plays good defense. Uh, he is also controlled through 2022. Um, are you interested in bringing any of those guys into the Red Sox?
1: Um, I mean, yes. Marte, I think, would be great. So, Same with Joey Gallo. Uh, and Joey Gallo also has experience playing the corners as well as the outfield, as well as DH. So you kind of uh, play with him in a bunch of different ways. Maybe even play him at first if is uh, still struggling. I think... Um, all of these guys are going to be really tough with the, um, like you said, it's a low priority. And then some of these guys like Marte, um, this dude, well, he's making 12 and a half million this year. Obviously that would be prorated to like f- probably around five ish. Uh, and that's probably too much of a gap for the Red yeah. Sox. Um, Gallo's making 6.2. That's they could probably make that up, but they're also probably gonna have to give up some of their better prospects. Gal is only twenty seven and still a pretty good baseball player. So I think because it's a low priority in the price, probably not gonna happen. Peralta's been like stinky good for like five years now. I really like him. He's a professional hitter. Yeah, and then again, Hanager had a string of really good seasons with Seattle. It's just it's just Duran being right there and uh, maybe Franchi having a bit of a resurgence in AAA. I don't think it's a position that they're looking at at all. Yeah, Uh, and
0: I I honestly think Hanegar might be a culture guy for uh, Seattle, too, that they just keep even though they don't really need him.
1: Yeah, that's a good point.
0: Um, I kind of agree with you, Keaton. I don't think they end up addressing this one because of Duran, because of Price, and because of... Yeah, I guess those are the two main things here. And in prospect cost, like getting Haniger, Gallo, or Marte is going to cost you some prospects. I think Peralta's the cheapest out of these guys from yep. prospect cost, but like he's still he's still a fixture in Arizona. You know, he's still like all of these guys are kind of clubhouse leaders too. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So a little bit of an extra wrinkle there. Um, let's talk about our middle infield targets. I only put two guys here. Uh Adam Frazier of the um the Pittsburgh Pirates, who's having just an incredible season. Uh he is arbitration eligible through 2022. And then Eduardo Escobar, who's having a great season for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's a free agent after 2021. Uh Eduardo is making about seven and a half million bucks and Frazier, I believe is somewhere around four uh, for this year. So Frazier's definitely the guy who you could probably fit in cost wise a little bit more. Although I bet, uh, Arizona would be willing to be super flexible for, for prospects coming back for Eduardo Escobar. Do you like either of these guys?
1: So I like Frazier a lot. Um, Second base, as we have been saying for a while, is kind of a hole right now. And he could be your leadoff guy. Um, He's looking at a season probably with like, first off, he has a 401 OBP, which is like twice as high as an OBP that we've had batting in a leadoff spot all year. So (laughs) that's that's nice. Uh, And he's on pace for like a 10 homer 10 steal season, which would be incredibly good uh, in this Red Sox lineup. And just his ability to get on base ahead of Guy sitting two through five would just be so great. I think it would be a perfect fit for this team. How worried are you that this 331 is Babbitt
0: field, though? Because he does, he has a Babbitt that's about 60 points higher than his, oh, it's a little bit more than 60 points, 66 points higher than his uh, career average. Or, oh, no, 50, 50 points, 54 points. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's still a jump, but, um, I mean, he's shown an ability to hit for average previously, like consistently hit 280. So even if you're getting 280 from him, the OEP is going to be significantly better than anything you have in a leadoff spot or hit, hitting second. Um, so even if there is some aggression to it, it's still going to be better than what you have on the roster right now.
0: Yeah, I like him. I I really like him and I like that he's a lefty bat too. Um there's there's a lot to like there. I think if the price is right, I'd be kind of thrilled about Adam frazier because I do agree with you. He definitely fills the uh the 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 um leadoff position uh, automatically. I'd be a little bit less excited about Eduardo Escobar. I'd still be happy with him and I think he'd be a huge upgrade, uh definitely. Um but I'm not sure they need the power boost.
1: You know, yeah,
0: they, they've got a lot of power. I, I feel like Frazier fits the need better. Yeah,
1: I agree completely. Yeah, Eduardo Escobar is just giving you that power piece, and I don't think you really need it. Also, they're um, both Chicago teams are already in a bidding war for him. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> think you have the pieces to outbid either of them to acquire No, any. so his uh, him being a little bit tougher to fit financially and already having a high price. Uh, more good.
0: Yeah. The other wrinkle uh, that might help you in terms of Adam Fraser is that Charrington is in charge uh, over there. So uh, Charrington knows many of the players in this system and it might be a little bit easier to strike a deal that way. Maybe. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get to our last part here. Corner infield bats. I picked two guys here. CJ Cron, who's having a great season for uh, the Rockies, he's a free agent after 2021, is making next to nothing, so that would be a very easy guy to acquire. And then Jesus Aguilar, who's one of the league leaders in RBIs uh, for Miami, uh, he's making a little over $4 million bucks, and he is a free agent after 2021. Uh, would you be interested in either of those guys, splitting time at first base?
1: Interesting. Um, no. Maybe because I don't think it, like like outfield. I don't think it's a major need. Like they've got like five guys who can play first base. Um, the, I think both of these guys would be upgrades, but not enough of an upgrade that I'd be willing to, you know, spend pieces on acquiring them.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm like mostly there with you, but the the thing is, CJ Cron is pretty good. And I think he's better than Bobby Dahlbeck right now. So I guess it depends on like how much you want to give Bobby Dahlbeck the reins for the rest of the year. It might be the wrong message to send Bobby Dahlbeck by going out there and acquiring CJ Cron right now um, because Dahlbeck has been so much better over the last you know month or so. Um, so I feel like he's trending in the right way, uh, right direction.
1: So I, that's the only thing that makes me a little bit hesitant. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd rather just stick with Dahlbeck, giving him some kind of run there. Give him a bit of a leash.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's probably the move. So over his last uh twenty eight days, Bobby Dahlbeck is batting two fifty with a four uh forty three slugging percentage. Um so got a dinger tonight. Yep, and that does not include tonight's stats. So, um it, it feels like he's getting there. So, I'm I'm also standing pat there. Um so what would a good trade deadline look like for you using the guys that we've compiled on this list? What's kind of like the optimal trade deadline for you?
1: Mm, Ian Kennedy and um I'd feel good about it.
0: Okay. Um, I would probably go. Canta Maeda, Yumi Garcia. But both in the same be- ballpark. Yeah, But yeah. I don't really think the need is offensive. So, nope. yeah. All right, uh, let's get to some listener questions before we get on out of here. Uh, Eric Thurlow has our first question. He says, with Franchi continuing to hit well, a call-up may be warranted soon. He doesn't really plug the hole in center field, but Verdugo could slide over. Is there any chance uh, this delays Duran's call-up if Franchi can hit well when he's up? I'm
1: good. He is crushing the ball, though. Yeah, he is. I suppose. Um, No, I don't think it would delay it because I don't see him as an everyday outfielder anyway. I'd rather have Verdugo and Renfro, and then Duran out there as the everyday, and maybe he could be the fourth outfielder if he's hitting okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you can you can bring up both. To be honest, I think that both would fit on this roster because I think that both. I don't think that Franchi would be worse than Danny Santana. Um. So I, I think you could potentially have both on this roster at the same time. I don't know what you think about that. Yep, I do. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Um, next one comes from Mike Parker. He says, what does Tristan Casas need to do to get promoted to Worcester? It uh, feels like this move is as delayed as Duran, uh, referencing Duran's promotion to Boston.
1: Um. That's a good question. I mean, just keep killing it. Um, They might be like the corresponding moves, I suppose. Uh, Like slide Durant up to the majors and then promote Gossas. I mean, I guess there's... um, Yeah, I don't know. Just keep doing what he's doing, I suppose. I think he he needs
0: to probably work on his strikeouts a little bit. That's still been one of the things that he's probably doing a little bit too much. Uh, At the minor league level, Um, if he can get those strikeouts down to like around 20% or lower, um, I feel like they'll have no choice because when he does make contact, he crushes the ball. And I think that's what they want to see from Costas is more consistent contact. So that would be my guess.
1: Yeah, I don't think the strikeouts are all that bad, though. Um, I mean, he's at 25% right now, but for his style of hitting, that's not outrageous. We can live with that.
0: No, it's not. It's definitely not outrageous. I agree. Um, The next question comes from Basic Braids, and he says, thoughts about giving the backup more playing time to ease the load off Vasquez? You're the catcher guy, Keaton. How do you feel about this?
1: Yeah, I don't have a problem with uh, giving some more time to Pilecki. I don't know about Wong yet.
0: Yeah, you probably want to lean on Vasquez well. Well, Wong is in there.
1: Yeah. I mean, Puleki's been a nice little player when he's in there. So, yeah, I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, I really love Puleki, too. Um, I feel totally comfortable with him behind the plate, uh, calling the game, and um, from an offensive standpoint. So, yeah, I think that's it's a great idea to try and keep Vasquez more fresh. Um, but, you know, he is such a big part of what the Red Sox do, and I know a lot of guys are comfortable throwing to him. So... Um, I think that kind of dictates his usage a little bit But yeah, I think
1: You're taking a, lot of, taking a lot of speed off the bases though, Taking him out of the out of line
0: <laughs> That's right Vasky the burner <laughs> And uh, the final question Of the night comes from the big man And he says, do you think the GM has some secret Info that stops him from bringing Duran up? No What do you think it is that That is this holding him back?
1: I don't know just that teams are stingy with good prospects but they're they're already past the um I mean they're well past the gaining an extra year of control and I my frustration is just seeing the black hole that leadoff has been and like I'd rather see Duran out there than a revolving door of Kike. Uh, Marwin, JD Martinez, every now and then. I just, it, there, I don't think that there is a legitimate reason for him not to be playing for this team right now.
0: I think there is something to the fact that Wister does play like a launching pad with the wind there. Um, so his stats are probably a little bit inflated. Um, and he definitely does still need to work on his defense a little bit more. Um, I wonder if they're looking at some situational hitting things, you know, how he's doing against different handedness and in different counts and things like that, that don't necessarily always show up in the box score. Um, when you see at the end of the night, like, you know, Duran went, you know, four, uh, two for four with a bomb. Um, you know, you, you look at that and you're thinking like, Oh, all right. Yeah. Just bring him up. Um, but, the team might be looking at that and they might be saying like, oh, well, the two strikeouts, you know, both came against the lefty and uh, in this particular situation. So it could be something like that that is just still holding them back a little bit. Could be. Could be. All right. Uh, That has been our show. Uh, It has been a little bit of a long one, but I hope you guys uh, got some enjoyment out of the uh, more thorough trade targets version uh, of this show. Uh, if you enjoyed both myself and Keaton, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake. You can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. And we thank you for joining us, making us part of your routine. And uh, be sure to check out the other shows on our network as well. The Red Sox On Deck podcast, the Over the Monster podcast, and the Precap podcast. Thanks very much, and we'll be with you again next week.